As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, bacon and ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy, available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Ba da ba ba ba. Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. We'll get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams is right. Williams gonna throw. One on one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's gonna take it. for the possible win. Snap, spot, kick away, high enough, long enough. It's good! It's good! Carolina has won the game on a 42-yard field goal by freshman Connor Burke. Good gosh, dirty. This is the Heel Tough Blog Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's your host, Anthony Pagnotta, with you guys, as always. And we are back. I am back by myself today to update you on what is going on in Tar Heel Spring Camp. We're going to break down some of the storylines. Uh, Mac Brown is really talking about some of the biggest questions that are currently uh, surfacing around the team. So we're going to dive into those. We have some of our own. And we're going to go position group by position group and look at some of those biggest questions and try to find some answers. I'll tell you what I think ultimately uh, the answers will be for the Tar Heels or what they have to do to find those answers throughout the rest of spring practice as well as when they dive into fall camp. We also have to tell you about an injury to one of the Tar Heels Edge rushers, uh, how big of an impact does it have? Uh, and also, it's a guy that helps Carolina out a little bit at the at the linebacker spot in the linebacking core. So how does Carolina replace what he is going to leave behind? And then before we get out of here, we have to go to uh, the future Tar Heels or possible future Tar Heels and some of, something about the former Tar Heels. We'll have to talk about Jaden Davis. He announced his top five. He is going to commit. Next Friday at 1.30 p.m., so we're going to tell you whether or not the Tar Heels actually have a chance to land his commitment, uh, and then we also will talk about uh, Carolina hosting their pro day on Monday. Uh, four former Tar Heels will be in action fully. Another former Tar Heel is going to work out as well, but is going to be limited due to an injury, so we'll tell you all about that and the chances that we think these guys have to get drafted in late April. So uh, let's dive right into it. And as I mentioned, we'll start with the injury that Carolina suffered. And this was announced on Tuesday that defensive end 
uh, edge rusher, linebacker, a guy that kind of did everything uh, for Carolina this past year when he was on the field. Granted, in limited snaps, Malachi Hamrick is going to be out for the season. Now, the football program did not officially determine that he is out for the year. They just said that he is likely out for the year. And look, while it seems like, you know, there could be a chance with that phrasing that he does come back, there is at least the knowledge that he is going to be out for a significant period of time. It is listed as a non-contact lower body injury. So you can imagine that it is something rather severe. It will involve surgery. Um, and this is this is a tough blow for Carolina. Um, look, it, it's not a guy that was probably going to end up starting. There's a reason why they brought in Amari Gaynor. Um, and I think a lot of Tar Heel fans are really encouraged by you know, some of the early uh, notes that we've heard about him, but this this is still a guy that probably would have had a pretty significant role this season as a rotational guy. Um, he was, you know, working to put on the weight in the offseason. Uh, he was also a guy that provided some depth at linebacker, as I was saying when we came in. So uh, this is this is going to be one that uh, Carolina is going to have to try to find multiple people to help fill the role that is left behind by him. And when you look at the edge rusher spot, look, normally you would say, well, a guy that played 81 snaps last year kind of split his time between edge and linebacker. You know, how significant of a loss is that? The problem is, is that you got to remember Carolina did lose Noah Taylor to graduation in the offseason. He is actually going to be one of those guys we're going to talk about later working out at the pro day. They lost Chris Collins to the transfer portal. So the depth here isn't exactly great. And I think Malachi Hamrick was a guy that they were counting on to step up and be someone that could fill in behind the transfer that they got in Amari Gaynor. And now uh, that that's going to be left to a, a group of guys that – are either going to have to play, you know, at a position a little bit with Cayman Rucker most likely having to play some snaps there. Um, not that Cayman Rucker can't handle playing there, but you don't really love having to drop him into coverage, especially with, you know, Mac Brown saying that he's been probably the most consistent guy up front along the uh, defensive line. Uh, you want him to be able to get after the quarterback, but if you end up having to play him a jack, there will be times where he will be having to drop into coverage against running backs, uh, sometimes maybe even tight ends with the way that the Carolina system uh, under Gene Chizik has worked. So, you know, that's probably going to be one of your plans. You'll have to have find somebody else in those snaps to step up and play that power end spot, which could mean that you'll see more of Javori Ritzy out there. Uh, Javori Ritzy was a guy that really thrived inside as the season went along, and the hope was that Carolina would be able to play him maybe a little bit more inside, at least from my perspective, the hope was that they would be able to use him more out of the defensive tackle spot as opposed to having to put him at that power end spot. Uh, the other solution would be for Carolina to really put a lot of trust early into some of the young, inexperienced edge rushers. And look, Hamrick wasn't exactly the most experienced guy either, but you're talking about Gabe Stevens, a guy that's a third-year player. He is a sophomore, but he was redshirted his first year recovering from injury. He was not utilized at all last year on special teams or uh, defensively. He has not taken a snap in his college career, and yet he is going to be one of the guys that may get some extra reps there. Or you then have to turn to the two true freshmen, guys that 
are a little bit undersized that have to put on weight. Jabron Harvey, uh, who was a four-star prospect. Uh, same thing with Tyler Thompson, but both guys, you know, really need that off-season workout program. They've been in it. Um, but the thing is, is are they going to be able to put on enough weight? Are they going to be able to develop enough physically to be able to handle playing a big role for this team? That's a question that I think we're still going to have to sort of wait and see on. I I'm not sure that you know that answer today. And, you know, hopefully they're able to figure that out here over, you know, the second half of spring camp. Um, this is an area where I wouldn't rule out Carolina potentially going back into the transfer portal and looking to bring in more help if they don't feel confident with what they have seen there. But I think with that option to move Cayman Rucker out there on certain snaps and allow somebody else to step up at the power end spot, Look, Carolina's recruited the defensive line, especially the edge rushers, um, pretty well. Uh, they brought in some guys that you, you would feel like eventually would wake up and be able to have some sort of effect. I think the guy that you're really hoping in those types of situations steps up and allows you uh, to be able to play Rucker out there is Des Evans when he returns back uh, to being a full participant in practice, which hasn't happened just yet. He's still limited right now, but it shouldn't be too much longer before he is back out there in a full capacity. And when that does happen, you would hope that he is finally able uh, to, you know, reach that potential that he had coming in and allow Cayman Rucker to be able to move around a little bit and help this team out in other areas where they need him. As I mentioned, though, it's not just the edge rusher position that Carolina is affected by with Hamrick's departure. It is also the linebacking core. He played there a little bit last year. You'll remember, especially early in the season for Carolina, he played there, um, you know, rotating in behind Power Eccles and Cedric Gray as needed. Carolina was likely going to have to bank on him there again this year because, look, the only guy that it feels like the staff is really all that confident in playing in a rotational role there this year is Sebastian Cheeks, and he barely played last year. He got injured early in the season, didn't really play on special teams because of that, and didn't play at all on the defensive side of the football. So uh, it, it's going to be – uh, a pretty significant uphill climb for him uh, even to make sure that he is ready to go if he for some reason has to play a significant role but Carolina's got to be prepared for that uh, that that possibility because look Carolina's avoided some of these injuries the last few years at the linebacking spot we saw last year there were times where you had Cedric Gray, Power Eccles have to exit the game for even just a few snaps, and Carolina was kind of left scrambling. So they have to be able to find some guys that they can trust there. You know, Randy Caldwell, Deuce Caldwell, uh, he's a guy that played a little bit sparingly last year in garbage time. They're hoping that he can develop. He's had a little bit more time to build his frame up, and if he can prove that he can handle playing there, I wouldn't doubt if Carolina uses him. And then you've got three freshman linebackers. Now, the problem is, is that um, all, all three of these guys, true freshmen, and one of these guys not coming in until the summer, that is Caleb Lavalli, who's the highest rated of the three linebackers that Carolina landed in this class. Amore Campbell, Michael Short, both guys are already in camp with the team. 
But both of those guys were looked at when they were coming in as developmental guys. So uh, this is going to be a bit of a challenge for Carolina. As I mentioned with the edge rusher spot, that could be an area where Carolina potentially looks to go into the transfer portal. I would not rule that out at all at the linebacker spot, um, especially if they exit spring practice feeling like they have way more questions than answers. They could look to go to uh, the transfer portal and find at least one guy that can help them there uh, to provide a little depth. I think that's the biggest thing to realize here is that if Carolina does go back into the transfer portal at either one of those spots, they are not going to be looking for starters. They're going to be looking for guys that can help them depth-wise. So it's not like they are going out there and having to find someone that's going to play an extremely significant role right out of the gate. It would just be another body that can help them there. Uh, maybe someone that has just a little bit of experience just in case there are injuries that forced Carolina's hand there a little bit. But ultimately, the young guys, they have their chance to step up in the second half of spring practice as we are closing in on that. Carolina, as I mentioned earlier, hosted their first open practice of the spring on Saturday. It was their first scrimmage of the season. So, Carolina, uh, you know, making their way through spring practice after returning from spring break. And Mac Brown spoke to the media on Tuesday after their first practice back from spring break and was talking about, you know, some of the questions that he has around this team. And there really are a lot of them that I think are very, very noteworthy. And it seems like just about every position group you have one. And some of the ones that he mentioned, you know, I, I'll bring up here. And I will also throw in some ones that I have about certain groups that he did not talk about on Tuesday as we get towards that midway point of spring camp for this 2023 team. And it started at quarterback. Mac Brown was talking about the backup quarterback job. And look, Carolina's got their starting quarterback set in Drake May. A lot of people yesterday that were at the scrimmage said that Drake looked really, really good. But the question is, who's going to emerge behind him? Because last year, Jacoby Criswell was there waiting in the wings if Carolina needed him. And we know the way that Drake May played early in the season. He, he did take a couple of hits late in the year. The offensive line starts to struggle a little bit. A lot of pressure on him. Uh, and you, you're hoping that you don't have to come to a situation where you have to play somebody uh, at that quarterback position besides Drake May this year, but you never really know. And so the question there is, is which of the three options there ends up emerging as the backup quarterback? Tad Hudson, the true freshman from Huff High School in Cornelius, North Carolina, is there with the team. He has been in spring practice, but it's really down to him. Jefferson Boaz, who is the uh, you know a guy that's been on the roster for a few years now as a holdover, and you also have Connor Harrell, the second-year guy out of the state of Alabama. He was the third-string quarterback in most people's minds. Last year was the guy that uh, was still in the quarterback competition, at least from what Mac Brown said, late into the spring, and actually was the first guy to take snaps last year in the spring game. And, you know, that it looks like he would be the guy you would project to win that backup quarterback job. But Mac Brown didn't seem to – Sim symbolize that that is actually what has happened so far. Uh, he basically, the way he talked, it was that there still is a bit of a battle that is going on there, but that Connor Harrell is the guy that is taking the majority of the snaps for Carolina as the number two quarterback. And so 
We'll see. I, I would be shocked if it's anybody besides Connor Harrell. Uh, just, you know, again, I, I was not able to intend uh, spring, the, the spring practice, unfortunately, due to uh, have, you know, due, due to work. But, um, you know, just, just from looking at some of the clips that I saw and knowing that he has taken the majority of the quarterback two snaps so far here in the spring, I would be shocked if it is not Connor Harrell that is the backup quarterback when this team uh, takes the field in the fall. Um, you know, he, he definitely brings that skill set. Remember that coming out of high school, his pro comparison uh, was uh, to Sam Howell. He's a guy that really fits, um, you know, th this system very, very well and was a guy that was probably hurt more than just about anybody else that Carolina has on their roster by the fact that he wasn't able to get out to all these camps because he was, you know, being recruited during a cycle that was heavily impacted by COVID. Um, you know, he probably would have ended up being a four-star prospect if he would have gotten out to some of these camps, if there would have been more of these seven-on-sevens that he would have been able to participate in, but he wasn't. And we know the skill set that he has. This staff knows the skill set that he has. He looked very mobile in some of the clips that I saw from him yesterday. So I would be shocked if Connor Harrell is not the guy that ends up winning that backup quarterback job. I think Tad Hudson is probably the biggest threat to him at this point. You know, Jefferson Boaz is a guy that's kind of stuck with it at that quarterback position, but it's never seemed like he's been able to gain any real traction. So I think ultimately, you know, the question is, is, is Connor Harrell going to be able to come in and, you know, move, move this offense up and down the field if for some reason – you saw Drake May get hurt. That's the biggest question for this season. The more important question, and Mac Brown brought this up on Tuesday, is really just trying to get a head start on next year and finding that guy that's going to replace Drake May. And look, we'll talk about a guy, you know, once we, you know, towards the end of the show that could come in there and sort of throw a wrinkle into all this if he is to come to Carolina. But ultimately, I think Connor Harrell has to be, you know, the favorite to win that to, to win that job if he does end up winning this backup quarterback job, as we would expect. You know, again, Tad Hudson is going to be fighting him. It's one of those situations as well that, you know, we've seen with multiple backup quarterbacks here in recent memory, where just because you win the, the backup quarterback job does not mean that you're automatically going to be handed the starting job uh, next year. But I think the important thing for Carolina is to go ahead and get a head start on that with the help of, uh, you know, the one of the analysts that was brought in. Mac Brown mentioned this when he was hired, Clyde Christensen, when he was brought in. One of the things, uh, you know, along with helping Drake May that he wanted Clyde Christensen to help them do was to find that next quarterback and sort of, you know, fine tune with the help, you know, th the way that assistants have to do it, which Mac Brown talked about. And I agree with him 100 percent having to basically do it through offensive coordinator Chip Lindsay or another one of the coaches on the staff because he can't directly talk to these guys. Another great ruling by the NCAA that you can be in the same room as somebody you can be talking about them, but you have to talk through somebody else as if this is a relationship where you are arguing with your other, with your significant other, and you have a mediator, one of your friends or something like that in between them, and you basically talk through them like your children. But yes, this is what the NCAA wants. Uh, no idea why, but here we are. And so Clyde Christensen, one of the things that Mac Brown wanted him to do is help him find 
that next quarterback. You move on to the running backs. And this is one, Mac Brown didn't bring this up, but it's one that I've had, you know, this entire offseason. And I think it's one that Toriel fans will be carrying up until probably uh, the first game of the season. And to be to be honest with you, probably even early on in the season. And it's what is this rotation going to look like at running back? One of the more interesting moves of the offseason, and at the time when you know they sort of announced that he was making this move, you felt like this is probably a good thing for Carolina. Uh, British Brooks coming back for a seventh season. You know, Carolina has him in the backfield. They have Elijah Green, who basically became what British Brooks was late in the year for Carolina, even to a bigger extent in 2021. This past year, he uh, was really, really good down the stretch of the season, found the end zone eight times, ran for over 500 yards. And a lot of people probably look at him as the favorite to win the starting job. But Carolina is going to allow for another battle here because you have him. You have British Brooks, who did what he did at the end of the 2021 season. You have Amorian Hampton, who started last year uh, in the first game of the year and did some really good things early on. Um, you know, you also bring in, you know, you have George Petaway, who, you know, showed some really good things with his speed uh, late in the season, especially uh, re returning the football. And, you know, th there are some other guys that can definitely factor in here as well. DJ Jones, you know, is sort of converting to safety. We'll talk about him a little bit more uh, when we talk about that defensive back group. But Carolina's got a host of guys at that running back spot that, are, are battling for reps, and rightfully so. And so we are locked in to yet another battle that will probably last throughout all of spring camp, all of fall camp, and head into the season where Carolina's got to figure out how exactly are they going to use everybody in this backfield. Um, and you're, you're really just trying not to ruin, uh, you know, or, or destroy the, um, the, the, destroy the, rhythm of the offense. That's ultimately what you're trying to do. So I think that's going to be crucial for Carolina to figure out. Larry Porter's got a tough job on his hands when it comes to that because there are so many guys uh, that have contributed to you so far uh, in your time here, especially last year. So uh, I, I think this is, this is going to be one of the bigger challenges for Carolina on the offensive side of the football. Don't get me wrong. It's a great challenge to have. I think what will separate a lot of these guys, as we've talked about here over the last few years, is going to be ultimately what do some of these guys do in pass protection? Are they able to you know, stand up against uh, you know, some of these blitzes that Carolina is going to be facing? Because let, let's face it, and we'll talk about it even more when we talk about the offensive line here in just a second, this, this is a team that did not pass protect well at all last season towards the end of the year. They did a good job early in the season. There was a time where Awesome Richards hadn't allowed a sack, um, you know, through, uh, you know, I think it was the first eight or nine games of the season. But as they got later on in the year, you started to see this group wear down a little bit. And one of the big areas where Carolina struggled was when their running backs were in pass protection. So they've got to get that figured out going into this year. They've got to find a way to keep, the defensive fronts and, and linebackers from being able to get to Drake May and throw him off of his rhythm. We saw late last year what this offense looked like when there was a lot of pressure in Drake May's face. And so 
Now, Carolina, you know, in order to do that, they've got to find a running back in that backfield that can pass protect. And the concern is, is that probably the guy that did it the best at times last year was DJ Jones. There's been some flashes from Elijah Green being able to do it. You're hoping a guy like Amari and Hampton, who has that physical edge to him, might be able to do that as well. So that's the thing that Carolina ultimately has to find with that with those running backs. And, you know, that will probably be a big determining factor into how this backfield shakes out because most of these guys, you know, they've got the skill set with the football in their hands when they do have a little bit of blocking in front of them to impact the game, uh, you know, on the ground. They have the ability to impact the game, catching the ball out of the backfield. It ultimately comes down to how they pass protect. You go out to the wide receiver spot, and this is one of those questions that I think, you know, a lot of people had coming into the year, but Mac Brown shed some light on it, and I think with the job that they did in the transfer portal, there's not really much concern. And really, it's what does this wide receiver group look without look like without Josh Downs and Antoine Green? And I think at this point, the answer probably is that it'll look a little different. You'll lose a guy in Josh Downs who's going to go, uh, you know, either at the at the top of the second round or possibly even sneak into the later part of the first round on the first night of the draft, that's going to hurt a little bit. There's no doubt about it. But you are going to have a wide receiving core that is going to probably rank up there with some of the best in the ACC once again this season. And the guy that's been bragged about a lot so far, and you saw him show up a little bit on some of those uh, – some of those – those reels and and uh, and highlights from yesterday's practice, if you weren't out there, is Devontae Walker. He has been raved about by just about anybody that has been around, uh, you know, spring camp so far. Uh, the speed that he has to be able to take the top off of the defense is going to be a big issue. A lot of people feel like that's something that uh, Carolina is going to have back in their offense this year. Not saying they didn't have it at times last year when Antoine Green was in there, but it certainly wasn't exactly the same as it had been uh, when this team had guys like Deami Brown and Mac Collins in this offense. He will be able to bring that back to this offense uh, for this upcoming season. And it should be one of those elements that Carolina fans are extremely excited about. Also, Nate McCollum, the slot receiver out of Georgia Tech who transferred in, uh, he has been receiving uh, some rave reviews as well. He's a guy that looks like he's going to make a major impact for Carolina. And then you couple that with the rest of the group that Carolina has there that are holdovers. You got Kobe Pesor, who last year uh, started in three games for Carolina and led the team in receiving in all three of those games. He has been fantastic anytime Carolina has needed him to step up and play a significant role for them. You then go out to the outside, and Andre Green Jr. is a guy that got his chance in the bowl game, caught three passes, including a jump ball touchdown that has a lot of people encouraged about what he can be moving forward. And then you've got the the duo of guys that started games last year for Carolina uh, early in the season. One of those guys that actually started for the entire season, J.J. Jones, he'll be recovering from a hip injury. He is not in spring camp with the team right now uh, because of that injury, but he will be back out there in the summer. And then you also have uh, Gavin Blackwell, who started a few games. 
camps early in the year, did some good things, but uh, with all the guys that eventually returned with Downs and Green, uh, it was hard for him really to find playing time, but he's a guy that's going to still be in the fold for Carolina as well. So you're talking about a wide receiving core that because of the way that Lonnie Galloway has recruited, because of the way that he has developed guys, you have to feel pretty confident with this Carolina wide receiving group as a whole. And then when you add in the transfers and the type of guys that they brought in, a guy in McCollum who, you know, last year probably would have been near a thousand yards if he was playing in an offense that better suited um, the passing game. Remember at Georgia Tech still trying to transition through uh, all of, you know, the, the Bobby, uh, the Paul Johnson era, um, you know, triple option stuff that uh, as of right now still has a pretty strong hold uh, on, you know, that that the, the the construction of that roster and everything like that. And then you're also talking about, uh, you know, a, a guy in Devontae's Walker uh, that almost put up a thousand yards at Kent State. And you wonder if he was in an offense with a quarterback like Drake May, just how crazy his season could have been last year. So, uh, it's going to be interesting to keep an eye on these wide receivers and see uh, just how talented this group actually is when they take the field to start the season. The tight end group, biggest question there, not really a significant one, I don't think, and I think it's showing from Mac Brown's comments, is what do they do without John Lilly in there? John Lilly had done such a fantastic job with this group, especially last year. You saw you know, Bryson Nesbitt take a significant step forward, most receiving yards for Carolina in a season since Eric Ebron was on campus. And now the question is, can Freddie Kitchens build off of that? He was brought in, of course, as the tight ends coach earlier this offseason. And it looks like that is the case. I think Carolina has a great opportunity uh, when it comes to this tight end group to have another big season. You've got all three guys back that were major contributors a year ago. You would expect Nesbitt will be around the same area of production, if not even more, because, of course, he was banged up in the middle of the season. That definitely limited him a little bit uh, down the stretch. And then you've got Kamari Morales, who actually has caught the most touchdowns of any Tar Heel tight end in their career with 10 so far. You would imagine he's going to be a big threat in that uh, in the red zone once again this year, especially with that being a focus of uh, this Tar Heel offense this year. And then John Copenhaver, you would expect him to take another step forward. We've, I've seen you know a lot of the videos of Carolina in some of these run drills. He's been out there in run blocking scenarios, but he's also done some really good things when he's been out there as a receiver. So you would expect that Carolina, they are going to have uh, a lot of 13 personnel that they will be using out there this year, or at least 12 personnel where they are going to have Morales and Copenhaver as the blockers on primary rundown. So uh, that tight end group still looking like it's going to be very, very formidable. You move down to the offensive line and Randy Clements has his work cut out for him. There was a time early on last year where it looked like Jack McNell Jr. had gotten some things figured out with this offensive line. And look, for the most part, they still weren't nearly as bad as the 2021 unit. But the way that they finished the season, the way that Georgia Tech, NC State, uh, and Clemson primarily were able to get pressure on the quarterback is something that Carolina simply cannot allow to happen for a third straight year. And the concern is that the majority of those guys from a year ago are back as a part of this unit this year. Now they have 
brought in a couple of, you know, a transfer in Willie Lampkin to help them out down there. Um, and they have brought in a couple of guys, of course, as true freshmen that will be hopefully helping the unit at some point. But this is still a group that is going to be comprised of a lot of the same guys. And so Randy Clements uh, has to get creative with how he, he ends up utilizing some of these guys. You also need to see what the approach from Chip Lindsey in this offense is going to be. Is this going to be a more run-oriented system like we think it's going to be? Or, as we've heard from Chip Lindsey uh, and from Mac Brown, is this going to be one of those systems that because Drake May is the quarterback, it's going to be more predicated on Drake May, and you're still going to see a pretty pass-heavy attack. Look, modern offense is very pass-heavy as compared to some of the old-school ones, but at the same time, you, you really need this team to be able to run the football a little bit more because I think it serves to the strength of a lot of these guys on the offensive line better than when you go into – uh, you know, a, a scenario, a game where you're throwing the ball 45, 50 times with Drake May. Uh, ultimately, I think this offensive line, you know, you're bringing back Corey Gaynor, uh, who's going to anchor this team in the middle. You're hoping that, uh, you know, he did some good things last year, but you're hoping that he can step up and really do some great things this year and, and be a guy that can pass protect even a little bit better than he did a year ago. Um, you know, the biggest question mark is at left tackle. It looks like William Barnes is going to be your starting left tackle, which I think is very, very interesting. The fact that they think that that is their best five, I think really tells you about the concern that Toriel fans should have when it comes to the development of uh, the younger guys there in that room, primarily a guy like Zach Rice, who I tabbed, and I think a lot of people tabbed as the guy that would take over at that left tackle spot. As of right now, it looks like that is not going to be the case. It doesn't even look like they are sharing reps there. It looks like it is going to be William Barnes, and that's going to be a significant step up for William Barnes. You're going to need him to play incredibly well, and well above the level that he did last year at the guard spot. And look, maybe he's a guy that thrives a little bit better at the tackle spot than he did at that right guard spot, considering the fact that he allowed as much pressure as he did there late in the year. But that's going to be really, really interesting. It's something to monitor here uh, as we go throughout the rest of spring practice. I'll be interested to check that out when the Tar Heels uh, play their spring game on April 15th. Uh, and then as they go into fall camp to see if there is, you know, Zach Rice maybe stepping up or somebody else that emerges that can play that tackle spot. Because to me, that is one thing that has me incredibly concerned about this 2023 team is seeing him out there. Willie Lampkin will be the guy that will be at left guard. That's where he played last year at Coastal Carolina and had an extremely successful year. The thing with Lampkin ton of versatility to him. Actually, he played there two years ago. That's my bad. He played center last year. Two years ago, played left guard at Coastal Carolina and did a great job. Um, really, he can fit in. He played tackle. I think that's probably less than ideal, um, but you never really know, especially if William Barnes struggles out there, if he is going to end up moving out there, sort of similar to what we saw from Joshua Zudu. But he can also play guard and, of course, center. Uh, so that'll be you know a, a versatile piece that Carolina can have on the offensive line. Meanwhile, right tackle, Spencer Rollins is expected to be back. 
uh, once again this year is expected to start. That was another guy that it really was just hoping there would be a point where Carolina was able uh, to find someone that could step up and take over that starting job from him. Uh, you saw some inconsistencies from him last year. And look, at this point, I think it's just you're hoping that he takes a step forward. But it, you really do just have to wonder, is he a guy that it has the ability to play at this level? You know, he, he's a guy that comes from the Ivy League. That's a significant step up, even more so, I think, than, you know, coming up from some of these other FCS schools, considering the fact that, um, you know, his, he, he did miss an entire year due to COVID when the Ivy League shut down completely. Um, so, you know, coming to Carolina, he had only played in 20 games at the Ivy League level. So, uh, Carolina, I, I think that's one of the things they have to do. Keep an eye on the rest of this group and see if there are other guys that emerge. But for right now, your focus needs to be on trying to get Spencer Rollins, trying to get William Barnes ready to go at those tackle spots as best you can. And at this point, really just 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 holding on and, and, and praying. That's all you can do because this offensive line unit – um, probably the unit I'm most frustrated with at this point. Um, that's something where you you really hope that other guys would step up, but it just doesn't seem uh, like there there is the development that there needs to be there. And to be honest, maybe I shouldn't be all that mad. It, it should make some sense that that group does look the way that it does, considering the fact that, you know, when you look at it, Carolina has had three offensive line coaches with, you know, within a, the span of a little over a year. Remember, Stacey Searles last year left right before uh, the first day of spring practice. And so since then, you had to bring in Jack McNell Jr. He had to learn on the fly, so they weren't really able uh, to develop under Jack McNell uh, early last year. And then, of course, you then had to go in uh, and, and replace him after he left with Phil Longo right after the conclusion of the uh, the conference championship game. So uh, that you know now Carolina third offensive line coach uh, in that span, Randy Clements, a guy who's done a really good job at developing guys uh, over the past few years. Well, now you're going to have to use him and, and you know find a way to, to to learn on the fly under him. Probably means you're going to be stuck with some of these veteran guys out there, but they have to be able to take a step forward. The other guy uh, that I did not mention there, Jonathan Adorno, looks like he is set to start at the right guard position for Carolina. But again, you're hoping that at some point when they get into fall camp, other guys are able to step up. Move over to the defensive side of the ball, uh, and you look at that defensive line. Um, you know, th this is a unit that, I mean, it's just, it's so simple with this unit. You just have to be better. You, you have to be able to get after the quarterback. You have to be able to win the line of scrimmage more often and slow down some of these run games. And that's something that Mac Brown talked about. And we'll talk about here in just a little bit, which is ultimately the biggest question about this team is the physicality. But, you know, when you look at this defensive line unit, it's a group of guys that are incredibly talented. Um, you know, you look at their rankings coming out of high school. This is the position where Carolina has probably recruited the best, maybe outside of quarterback. And to be honest with you, you could even make the case that they've done a better job of recruiting this position. That's one of the main reasons Tim Cross is still here is the fact that he recruited as well as he did and that he developed the relationships that he did with some of these guys along the defensive front. But as I talked about when we were looking at Malachi Hamrick and his injury and the impact that it will have, there are guys here that simply just need to step up on the edges. 
It's a guy like Des Evans. You need him to finally live up to the potential of a borderline five-star prospect that he was coming out of high school. Um, so far, we haven't seen that. And injuries, you know, have definitely set him back at different times. Last year, you know, still wasn't great, but he had a chance to really, you know, take on a bigger role. And, you know, he didn't, he, he still wasn't producing the way that you needed him to when it came to getting after the quarterback. He's a guy that shined in the camps. He's done it in spring. He's done it in fall for multiple years now. Well, now it's time to do it on the field. And so uh, right now in, in, in spring camp, you'd imagine he's probably standing out, um, even though he isn't a full participant. When he does get back out there, you would imagine he will be one of those guys that will catch a lot of eyes. But this has to be the year that it all clicks for him. Amari Gaynor, you need him to be the guy that you, you thought you were getting when you brought him in out of the transfer portal. Um, and look, you know, that's that the way that I said that, maybe it seems like, you know, I'm saying that I don't think he will be. I don't think that's the case. I, I you know, I think, you know, we heard when we talked to Logan Robinson, a guy that covered them uh, right after he transferred. He said, look, this is a guy that fits that position better than what he was playing at Florida State, where he was playing linebacker. I think that he will be a guy that will fit in very, very well at the edge rusher position. And I really do think that Carolina uh, is, is trusting him this year to be that guy that can finally create a little bit of havoc off the edge. The thing about Tamon Fox back in, you know, the prior four years before last year was there were times where Tamon Fox was incredibly frustrating. He was a guy that would really just have burst uh, where he would look really, really good. Um, he would have those games where he would have two, three sacks. He would do rack up a lot of production, but then he would go missing for certain stretches. Well, at this point, Carolina would be dying to have something like that on the defensive line. Last year, you had nobody that produced anything for a consistent period of time, maybe outside of Cayman Rucker. And again, he's still a guy that I think probably fits that mold of what we I just talked about there with Tamon Fox, but is doing it as an even more undersized guy that – uh, you know, is still trying to add to that frame and, and and add the physicality that he needs to to play that position consistently. So um, you need a Maury Gaynor to be that guy that can get the pressure off the edge. And especially now with Malachi Hamrick out, uh, pretty much it, it's up to him. It's him and him only. He's going to be playing probably um, – the majority of the snaps you would expect that he will probably be playing amongst the defensive front uh the most snaps of anybody he'll probably be somewhere in the neighborhood of those guys at the linebacker spots with Cedric Gray and Power Eccles in terms of how many reps he will have to play this year because of the fact that they do not have any other proven guys right now at the edge rusher position that can help him out unless they do move uh, Kamen Rucker out there uh, on certain snaps so that's the, you know, what they're looking at on the edges. And then when you go inside, so much disappointment there last year. Miles Murphy was a guy that you expected was going to take a significant step forward last year. Uh, there were a lot of people that thought he could potentially be a first-team All-ACC guy. Some people thought he could be a guy that could potentially jump into that All-American type of category. And that did not happen at all. He took a significant step back, probably one of the most disappointing, um, you know, seasons that I can remember from a Tar Heel defensive lineman in terms of the expectations, uh, as opposed to what actually happened on the field uh, in program history. 
Um, and now he simply has to recover from that this year. They look like they're going to play him in a pretty significant role again. Uh, so he needs to be the guy that we thought he was going to be last year or at, at the least return to what we saw from him back in his first couple of years on campus because his junior year performance was nowhere near where it needed to be. Um, and then, you know, when you lost Raymond Velasic, that then forced you into a situation where you had to play Kevin Hester Jr. a lot. Kevin Hester Jr., really solid player, guy that works hard. I think for him, ultimately the best spot for him is to be a rotational guy. And in order to do that, you know, Carolina has to find other guys that can step up and become the, the, the full-time starters there. And I think, you know, one of the obvious ones is, is clearly Travis Shaw. That's the guy that you want to see step up. Uh, and really take a hold of a starting job. Now, the thing is, is that more than likely, if he is going to be out there, you're hoping that he is going to be that guy in the middle, uh, sort of the run-clogging defender. And at this point, I think, you know, you'd love for Miles Murphy to be that guy that can get after the quarterback, but that just hasn't really been what he's been so far in his career. So more than likely, uh, you would be faced with a situation where you will have to play, um, you know, Travis Shaw alongside of either Kevin Hester Jr. Um, Javari Ritzy, we saw him as the year went along. And that's what I was saying earlier, talking about him at the power end spot. You know, when I looked at him, I, I thought last year down the stretch of the season, Carolina started playing him more at the interior on the interior of the defensive line uh, away from that power end spot. And I thought that was where you really saw him start to shine the brightest. Now, again, you're going to have to rotate guys in with them. You don't have anybody on this roster really that can be Aaron Crawford or Jason Strobridge in terms of how much they play. But I definitely think that you, you are hoping that he takes enough of a step forward and that Travis Shaw does as well, where you can get to a point where those can be your two starters on the defensive front, this, on the defensive line this year. And I think that is uh, certainly, you know, in the cards. You look at Travis Shaw, he's a guy that looks to be in much better shape. That was the concern with him last year uh, was that he wasn't quite in the shape that he needed to be after he suffered a shoulder injury that cost him half of his senior season at Grimsley High School. And so now with him looking as if he's in better shape, maybe this is where he sort of takes that step forward. And then Javari Ritzy. As long as Carolina doesn't need to use him that much at the power end spot, which I think the injury to Malachi Hammer could complicate that a little bit, you're hoping he can become that guy uh, at the defensive tackle spot that can handle that for you. And then some other guys can emerge there. You know, one of the interesting things, you know, talk about that power end spot, some of those other guys that will have to step up. If Des Evans isn't the guy there, Carolina has Tamari Fox finally back in the – fold. It was his first full practice um, the other day uh, on Tuesday when Mac Brown was speaking to the media, and there is a lot of excitement about him coming back to this room. Hopefully he can bring the type of production that he did his freshman year. He was a little bit quieter uh, his sophomore season and, of course, missed all of last year uh, due to suspensions due to PDEs uh, or PEDs, PDEs, uh, that were found um, you know, in his locker in the preseason. And so uh, Carolina, you know, th this is you know a scenario where they've got just a ton of guys in that room and it's time for some guys to actually step up 
and play more significant roles uh, than they have in the past for some of the younger guys and also for some of these guys that have been starting but haven't been living up to the expectations. It's time to finally break out. You need some guys that are going to step up, and that's probably the group I'll be most interested to watch when we get to that spring game on April 15th when I'm in Keenan Stadium. You go to the linebacking core, it's really that depth. Like I talked about earlier, and I won't spend too much time on it here, with the loss of Malachi Hamrick, this group was already going to be extremely shorthanded, but it, it does one of two things. One, and it shouldn't shock anybody, this was going to be the case probably uh, to begin the season anyways, and you would imagine it probably lasts throughout the entire year because as much as they've talked about trying to find depth here, they never really have. You need Cedric Gray and Power Eccles to pretty much play every single rep that they can for you this season. Um, this group is incredibly young behind them. You've got Sebastian Cheeks, as I mentioned, that did some really good things uh, during the preseason a year ago. He flashed a lot in spring camp, did the same thing in fall camp. But once he got injured early in the year, uh, you know, he, he, he lost out on some valuable experience that he could have had uh, when there were moments where Carolina uh, had guys go down. So now, and so on the rest of this group uh, to also step up alongside of him, he's going to have to come back in cheeks when he does uh, become a full participant. He's another guy that is still working his way back from that injury to get to a full capacity. He's been there, but he's been limited so far in the spring. But once he comes back, you really need him uh, to show that he is more than capable of being that primary rotational linebacker. And if he doesn't, if you exit spring camp, feeling like there is still maybe a question about that, uh, then you have probably have to go back into the transfer portal because the rest of the group, incredibly inexperienced with Deuce Caldwell and the three true freshmen, one that won't enroll until the summer. So that ultimately is the biggest question for that group. And then you go to the defensive backfield. And, you know, the thing here, there were two questions, I think, coming into the the the, uh, the spring uh, about, you know, th this group and, you know, the cornerback group, you're under a new coach in Jason Jones, but it seems like this is going to be a group that's going to assimilate pretty well. Um, you're going to have Marcus Allen, a guy that really flashed late in the season. Now the question is, is Jason Jones able to develop these guys that show those freshman flashes a little bit better than Dre Bly was able to? I think that it probably sets up very well for him to be able to do that because Marcus Allen is an extremely talented player. He's done some really good things. Mac Brown's talked extensively about him. Uh, Legend Cavazos and the transfer from East Tennessee State, Elijah Huzzy, who's been playing a lot so far here in the spring. Those three guys have been rotating on the outside, and it looks like that is going to be the rotation when Carolina starts the year, although you will be able to then add Amar, uh, Armani Chapman into that mix when he does return for uh, fall camp. He is, of course, out for spring uh, with an injury. So once they're able to get him back out there, uh, you have to feel really good about where this cornerback unit is. Even when you go inside to that star spot, the nickel corner, you've got DeAndre Boykins, who's back from that, from last year. Now, the thing with him is that 
He has to improve over what he did a year ago. He was picked on way too often a year ago, uh, allowed the most catches on the team, the most receiving yards on the team. That has to change this upcoming season uh, if he is going to be the long-term guy there. Um, but you have to feel confident with you know what you heard from Mac Brown on Tuesday when he talked about DeAndre Hollins, Day-Day Hollins, coming back into the fold. He was a guy that you know, toyed with the idea, actually entered his name at one point into the transfer portal, but then withdrew his name. And he's back. Uh, Mac Brown said he's done some really good things. Of course, a valuable special teams member as well. Uh, but that is a guy that's really shining so far here in fall camp and so, or here in spring camp, I should say. Uh, really just want to get <laughs> really trying to, to, to get closer to the season, I guess. I don't really know. Um, but he's definitely a guy that I think. Uh, you know, Carolina can trust if they need to at some point. And that doesn't even mention a guy in Jaquarius Conley who's played that nickel spot uh, at a pretty high level uh, each of the first two years that he was on campus before, of course, last year, suffering an injury that kept him out for the majority of the season. The biggest question, though, does involve the spot where Conley is playing right now, and that is the safety spots. Both of those spots seem to be up for grabs. And the way that Mac Brown talked on Tuesday – he doesn't really seem that confident with this group. And, you know, that's that's the thing that honestly scares me the most about this defense right now. I know that defensive line, the way they played last year, you still have Tim Cross there. But bringing in uh, Ted Monaccio, uh, Monacino is, is, is really a big move for Carolina there. You feel like he's going to be able to aid and at least help this team take, uh, you know, somewhat of that quantum leap, as he called it. Uh, during his pressure on Tuesday this upcoming season. I think the concern is can you find guys on the back end of that defense that are able to do what the safeties the last few years have not been able to do, and that's limit those big plays. You haven't seen guys that have been able to rotate over the top and help these corners when they've been in trouble. You've seen guys, even when they've been in single coverage, that have struggled a lot, and part of that's due to injuries. There's been guys that could have been back there helping them, like Conley last year, who haven't been out there. But you really just need guys to step up and 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 play, um, you know, better than they have these last few years. And so, there are some injuries there that have opened the door. Unfortunately, I think that might be part of the reason why uh, there are, you know, the concerns with how this group has played in the spring from Mac Brown, uh, as he talked about on Tuesday. And that's, you know, Will Hardy and Giovanni Biggers both not participating here in the spring. And so that means you have to find other guys that are going to step into those roles. You know, the obvious ones, Jaquarius Conley, who played the safety spot uh, a couple years ago and did some good things back there. Wasn't nearly as, uh, as flawless as he was at the nickel spot. And ultimately they ended up moving him back to that nickel spot uh, back in 2021 at one point, but you would expect he's going to be right in the middle of that fray. Don Chapman is a veteran guy that is going to probably be uh, counted on at some point this season. It could be early on in the year. It could be later in the year uh, as we go along. But as we've seen each of the last few years, there is a point where Carolina seems to have to use him. Derek Allen, the transfer from Georgia Tech, a former four-star prospect at the safety position, more of an in-the-box safety, but that's an area that Carolina still needs a little bit of help at. You would expect he could get a significant look there, especially with all the injuries that Carolina is dealing with. And then you talk about a guy 
that converted over from the running back spot that Carolina, you know, was going to give a look at the safety spot. Mac Brown said it uh, a few weeks ago when he was talking about him. DJ Jones is a guy that's made that conversion, and this is really his first time that he is getting a look in the defensive backfield. Didn't even really do this during high school. He was pretty much uh, just a running back. I remember going and watching him play for Pine Forest High School in his senior year, and he was exclusively on the field on the offensive side of the football. So this is going to be a significant learning curve for him. But I think this really speaks volumes to where Mac Brown feels like this unit is at right now. They have a long, long way to go, and they really, really need to step up and you know find a way to gain a little bit of momentum with this position group because it feels like these last couple of years they've just been floating guys out there hoping that it would you know something would stick um but at this point nothing has really worked for this unit you've seen guys struggle uh consistently i think will hardy showed some uh some nice flashes late last year um but i think outside of him there are still question marks about just about everybody else on this unit um jaquarius conley i think the biggest thing with him is probably health but everybody else it's it's really a about their play and are they going to be able uh, to be consistent enough to play on that back end and so that's going to be one of the other big things that Carolina has to get figured out here in spring camp and as they carry over into fall camp now ultimately the biggest question when it comes to this Tar Heel team that we have to talk about that Mac Brown mentioned on Tuesday is the physicality, the physical nature of this team. Are they going to be able to finally play with a level of physicality uh, that people have noticed they haven't been playing with for a while? Mac Brown says that the narrative around this team that he has heard from opposing coaches and everything like that, um, just from talking to some of them, is that, hey, this is a team that is soft. They don't play physical at the point of attack, and they are a team that you can – slow down easily in the red zone. Um, and it really focuses on the run games. It starts on the defensive side of the football where uh, Carolina has not been able to stop the run. These were Mac Brown's words himself. Hasn't been able to stop it in four years since he's come back. Well, Mac, it's hasn't been four years, brother. It's been since Butch Davis was on campus. Um, this unit has to be able to find a way to be more consistent against the run, especially when it matters. Um, you've seen some physical teams that have just pushed this Carolina defensive front around. Um, and I think that's really where it all starts. Uh, you know, you can say as much as you want about the linebackers, about the secondary when it comes to the run game, but ultimately it needs to be on those guys up front. They have to start winning some of those battles and not getting pushed around so easily putting pressure on the back seven, back six to be able to make the tackles every single time. And so that's going to be a big challenge for Carolina here as they go throughout spring and fall camp. The other area that they have to get a little bit better is in the red zone, as we mentioned, on the offensive side of the football. And that really is where the running game, the physicality of the running game has to show up. And it didn't late last year. Uh, there were so many instances, especially in that four-game losing streak, where you know this team just was not able to run the football the way they needed to in the red zone. Um, prior to that four-game stretch at the end of the year, they were one of the best red zone offenses in the entire country. And the way that they finished was a complete disaster. You saw it put a lot of pressure on the special teams unit. And as we've seen multiple times with this special teams unit here in the past, especially the place-kicking game, 
Carolina's special teams units have come up short, and it did again last year. It's on this offense to become better in the red zone, and the best way to do that is to be able to run the ball, be physical at the point of attack. Your offensive line has to win up front. They did not do that down the stretch, and they need to be able to do that this year. They have to strip themselves of that soft mantra. That is something that just has been, um, you know, it's been with this program, you know, it was there late in the Larry Fedora era. I think the only reason that it wasn't there earlier in the Larry Fedora era in the first couple of years was because you still had Butch Davis guys there, but this has been an issue for Carolina football for the better part of the last decade. And they have to be able to wipe that out. And it has to start now. Gene Chizik was a guy that talked about that last year when he came in as the team's defensive coordinator. Well, now that has to start showing up. And so for Carolina, I think that that's going to be one of the keys on both sides of the ball that this staff has to be pushing throughout the rest of spring camp and throughout fall camp. The other area on the offensive side of the ball where Carolina has to, um, you know, they have to look at themselves and they have to reevaluate is when it comes to the run game and their patience with it. Mac Brown said in the press conference that one of the other narratives out there is that Carolina isn't patient enough with the running game and they will bail on it uh, if you are able to stop it early. And so Carolina's got to get back to being a team like they were in 2020 where the offense – was initiated by their run game. And, you know, again, I think the biggest thing that you, you would you would say if, you, if you're trying to counter that argument is that, look, they've had a lot of young guys that have played significant roles like they did a year ago. Uh, some guys that you know, were playing significant roles at that time got banged up. And I, I get that. But you have to be able to stick with the run. You have to trust the guys that are in that room. And to be honest, I thought there was a point last year where, you know, Elijah Green was doing everything that he needed to do for you to stick with the running game. I think, again, this probably goes back more to the offensive line than the trust in the running back room. If you can find the trust in your offensive line to be able to consistently run block, then you're probably going to have a chance uh, to, to be a more run-heavy offense. And with the way that Chip Lindsey's offenses have run in the past, you would imagine that's going to have to be a part of what Carolina does this year for this offense to be able to uh, move the football the way that they ultimately need to. So uh, really quickly, we're going to take a, a short break here. I'm going to tell you about uh, DraftKings real quick, and then we will circle back and tell you about a major in-state recruit that Carolina is in the final five for uh, as they come down the stretch of his recruitment and a little bit about Tar Heel Pro Day. But as I mentioned, I have to tell you about DraftKings Sportsbook. The biggest tournament in college basketball is underway and the action is just getting started on DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top rated sportsbook apps. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any pregame money line bet and score $150 in free bets if your team wins. Plus, get multiple bets for a shot at an even bigger payout. DraftKings will be featuring parlays and odd boosts all tournament long. So be sure to check the DraftKings Sportsbook app every day to see what they have in store. Uh, look, these tournament matchups have been unbelievable. They've been so unpredictable, but I know that there are two teams right now that I'm willing to bet my money on. Texas, who's about to play tonight, so they could potentially be out. But I know one team that I will be placing my bet on when it comes to the Final Four is 
Connecticut. UConn has looked absolutely amazing so far in this tournament. Dan Hurley has done a tremendous job. And I'm confident that I can make some money off of them, and I will do it at DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with the code TPPN. Right now, new customers can bet $5 on any pregame money line bet and get $150 in bonus bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with the promo code TPPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. As I mentioned, guys, let's get into, uh, you know, one guy that could be a future Tar Heel and a couple of guys that are former Tar Heels that are trying to make it to the next level. Let's start with the guy that could potentially be a future Tar Heel, although it looks like it will be a little bit of an uphill climb, and that is Jaden Davis, the five-star quarterback from here in the state of North Carolina, plays his high school football at Providence Day High School in Charlotte. Uh, his school actually just uh, made the announcement a couple of weeks ago that they will be facing off in a huge matchup to begin the year against Northwestern, a school in Rock Hill, South Carolina. A lot of people may remember that uh, if you're from the area when they were a powerhouse team back on the rise just a little bit. They are actually going to play the first ever high school football game in Bank of America Stadium. Uh, on August 19th, uh, uh, that first Saturday of the high school football season, that will be uh, some spectacle actually sort of setting the stage, believe it or not, uh, for Carolina's game uh, just a couple weeks later when they take on South Carolina in uh, the Dukes-Mayo kickoff classic there. So uh, that one will be really interesting, and uh, who knows? Maybe he'll be a Tar Heel at that time, but it seems like it may not go exactly that way. Carolina was one of the five that he that he named to his final five schools on Friday night. Uh, it's them, Michigan, Tennessee, Clemson, and Ohio State. It really seems like it's down to Carolina and Michigan, although Tennessee at one point uh, was a team that a lot of people felt like could be lurking a little bit. But ultimately, it looks like this is going to probably go the way of Michigan. Um, we'll, me and Zach Hubbard, will be back to break down this commitment, um, you know, when he does actually make his decision and then kind of reflect from there on what it means for Carolina either way. Um, but more than likely, we are going to be talking about where does Carolina go next? Because Michigan, uh, they, they've had a stranglehold on this recruitment for a while. There was actually a time earlier on, um, you know, back towards the end of the season where it looked like Carolina uh, was pretty much completely out of this. It looked like Michigan um, was going to lock up his commitment towards the end of the regular season. Um, or if he was going to delay it, it was pretty much one of those inevitable things where Carolina was just going to be recruiting other guys. And the end result was ultimately known here. Then you have the moment where Jim Harbaugh starts flirting with the NFL again. I think that was a time where a lot of people really thought to themselves, man, could this potentially open the door for Carolina? He took an unofficial visit to campus on January 21st. And when he exited that visit, it felt like Carolina had really established themselves as the biggest threat to Michigan and the team that would probably become his favorite if Jim Harbaugh was to end up taking one of those NFL jobs. Ultimately, it doesn't end up working out for Jim Harbaugh. And now Jaden Davis looks as if he is going to go there, especially after the unofficial visit that he took there last weekend. Uh, so 
at, at this point, look, this is one that I think Carolina battled really, really hard for. You know, he talked about actually uh, in the article that was released to uh, to Rivals.com, that was, by Adam Friedman. He said that, uh, you know, for Carolina, it, it's definitely something he's thought about. Putting on for the home state, uh, as he put it, that sounded probably uh, a little bit less hip than he said it at the time when he was doing the interview. Um, but, you know, he, he mentioned, you know, what has what guys like Sam Howell and Drake may have done there. But I just think, you know, probably you'd imagine NIL is involved in some way. The fact that Michigan has been in back-to-back college football playoffs You'd imagine that that is probably why he feels like he can go uh, to Michigan and accomplish bigger things than he can at Carolina. And so uh, ultimately it looks like Carolina will be turning their attention to some of the other guys uh, that they have in the 2024 class uh, you know, that, that, that they've offered to this point. There are two guys I think that stick out, Jerk, uh, uh, Jerk. Uh, Jake Merklinger, uh, Merklinger, um, geez, just can't talk today, guys. I, I don't know what's going on. Uh, Jake Merklinger, uh, who was on campus, uh, in the first weekend of this month when the dead period had lifted. And then KJ Jackson, another guy out of the state of Georgia, uh, Merklinger is as well, um, who was on campus actually yesterday for the open practice. Uh, so, uh, more than likely, looks like Carolina will miss on the top prospect in their state uh, in, in this recruiting cycle uh, and a guy that is ranked as the number four quarterback in this class. Uh, but still, Carolina looks like they're in pretty good shape there, and you'd imagine that they will be able to wrap up the commitment of one of those Georgia quarterbacks or at least somebody else that they haven't even offered yet that's a pretty significant prospect at a spot where they've had just a ton of success recruiting over the last few years. Talk about the guys uh, that are former Tar Heels now that are trying to make it to the NFL level. I mentioned Josh Downs a little bit earlier. Uh, as you know, as I said with him, don't really know how much more he can help himself. If he does run a faster 40 than he did at the Combine, that could certainly help. But other than that, he showed everything that he needed to at the Combine. He has been raved about, a uh, former NFL wide receiver and a guy that's a legend in these parts around here, Steve Smith, could not stop raving about him. Actually put out a YouTube video. Uh, he was on, uh, I believe it was with Underdog Fantasy, which is a group that does draft breakdowns. They also go in-depth on fantasy football. Josh Norris is... Uh, is one of the main guys that runs that over there. Um, and he, you know, sat down with those guys and, and talked about some of the receivers in this class. And he had a, a whole video breaking down Josh Downs and talking about how much he loves him. This dude is going to go early in the second round. I think the Carolina Panthers at number 39 are certainly in play. Uh, but there are a lot of other teams that are looking at him as well. And I think there's a chance that he could sneak into the end of that first round if enough things were to break right for him. So uh, I don't really know how much he can help himself. I think Antoine Green uh, could potentially help himself a little bit. I think, you know, again, pro days, it's it's so hard to really prove uh, anything else than you have if you did go to the combine. Green looked really good there. I think for him, if he goes through the drills again, um, which you would expect that he will, and he catches the football well, if he can potentially even run a little bit faster. I was surprised at the time, the 4.47 that he ran at the combine. If he runs even faster than that, you never really know. But I think he's probably a solid day three guy that has locked himself up as a draftable prospect. Awesome Richards, it'll be interesting to see if he does the athletic testing stuff. 
Uh, if he chooses not to, then he's probably just where he was exiting the combine. He looked pretty good in the drills, showed some good mobility. This is a guy that's probably going to end up uh, getting drafted somewhere early in day three as a developmental guy. Um, who knows? I, you know, last year we thought Joshua Zudu was a guy that was probably going to be uh, in day three of the draft. He ended up going in the you know late third round in day two. So this could be another one of those guys, especially with you know the flexibility that he showed at the Senior Bowl, being able to move inside to guard. So I would not be shocked. Uh, if he is a guy that is higher on some people's boards uh, than the draft experts, and you never really know where he could end up, but I think guaranteed he is probably going to be uh, selected in the first two rounds of uh, day three of the NFL draft. And then uh, you get to Raymond Velasic. He will be going through all the drills. He has a ton of work to do. I have not seen him on a single NFL draft board to this point. I think there is still a chance that he could potentially get drafted, um, or, or at least uh, to me, probably not drafted. I should take that back. I'd be stunned if he gets drafted. There is still a chance that he could end up in a camp, especially because, you know, the last two years he's been sort of uh, beleaguered by injuries. There might be people that have seen his tape prior to that and think that uh, there is some potential there with him. But ultimately, uh, if he is able to go out there, put up some good testing numbers and do some good things in the drill, maybe he at least catches someone's eye enough for them to be able to bring him in uh, for the summer and at least get him maybe uh, on the roster for um for training camp that that would be a huge step for him Noah Taylor uh kind of kind of in a weird spot for him you know the USFL he did get drafted by the New Orleans Breakers uh don't know if he's going to be able to participate with that team this year because of the injury that he suffered because he's still not going to be able to do the on-field drills tomorrow the only drill he'll be able to do is the bench press and he is going to do that this will really be yet another chance for him to just talk to some of these scouts and everything like that and try to get his name on their radar for them to potentially bring him in to training camp that's probably what he's aiming for at this point if he would have been able to get out there and do these drills maybe he ends up playing in the usfl uh, here in the spring but i think now the fact that he still is not going to be able to get out there and participate in any of these athletic drills due to the knee injury that he suffered uh, in the middle of last season it means he probably is going to be stuck having to uh you know just be satisfied with a camp invite get his name out there and uh, potentially find himself on a roster um, you know, into the preseason and hope he can shine there uh, for a team at the NFL level. So that is going to wrap it up for this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Guys, make sure you head over to the website, HeelToughBlog.com. Football side of things, it has been still a little bit quiet, but I've had you covered on everything that you need to know. I have an article on the website that goes a little bit more in depth into those questions that Mac Brown was asking on Tuesday and how those questions are surrounding this team as they go throughout the rest of spring camp and could still be surrounding them as they go into fall camp. So make sure you check that out. There'll be an article up there right before the commitment of Jaden Davis. I'm going to wait that one out, see if there is anything that potentially changes down the stretch here. I don't think Carolina is going to be able to get him on campus for a last minute unofficial visit to try to make a last ditch effort, a uh, last ditch pitch uh, to try to land him. 
But uh, I will make sure that I have that guys uh, that that up there for you guys, so that you are able to get fully prepared for what could potentially happen when he makes his announcement on Friday at 1:30 p.m. He will do that on Sports Center. Uh, did not an, uh, break that down uh, there during uh, his. I was talking about him there just a minute ago, but yes, it will be 1:30 on Friday on Sports Center. He will announce his commitment. Uh, so. Uh, I'll have you covered on the website with all of that stuff, as well as any other news that comes out. Malachi Hamrick, I go a little bit more in depth. There's an article up there about his injury and who else has to step up. So make sure you check that out. And then on the basketball side of things, guys, that's why I haven't really been able to get on here and do an addition to the podcast in a while. Uh, it has just been insanity. There is no other way to put it. You know, Carolina exits the ACC tournament uh, in a way that, uh, was very, very unflattering. You were hoping that they would be able uh, to find a way to beat Virginia at least and give themselves a shot at the NCAA tournament. But then you have the moment where Ohio State, they make a run in the Big Ten tournament. It looks like that could potentially become a quad one win. It does for a moment. Uh, there was there was a time on that Saturday where Carolina was in position to have two quad one wins and really probably have the tournament committee debating on whether or not they could put them in. But ultimately, they end up losing that quad one win. Carolina misses the tournament. And then you have the issues uh, that everybody had with the team sitting out the NIT tournament. Uh, it was voted on by the players. Uh, you know, there, there is just mass chaos still that is coming out. Uh, based off of what happened with that. And then after that, we have had a run of roster moves here uh, that you will probably never see again in the history of Carolina basketball. Five players have now entered the transfer portal. There was actually one last night in Will Shaver. Josh has articles up on the website about every single one of those guys. And then you have the guys that have decided to remain on the roster. Armando Baycott is back. RJ Davis is back. Jalen Washington has confirmed that he is back. And there are plenty of guys that have entered the transfer portal elsewhere that Carolina could potentially take a look at. Um, there are some rumors coming out that Carolina could potentially be uh, seriously looking at, at some of the guys that are there. They've already hosted uh, an in-home visit with Nicholas Timberlake, a guy that is a transfer from Towson. He is now going to take an official visit to Chapel Hill uh, here in the near future. So a lot of stuff going on around Tar Heel basketball. And me and Josh have you covered on the website with everything that is going on. Again, HeelToughBlog.com to find all of that. So that once again wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. Make sure you guys rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. And since we're back on video, guys, make sure that you head over to the YouTube page. That's going to be the best place to watch these videos. Uh, YouTube, uh, just search Keel Tough Vlog, find our page, and make sure when you are there that you do smash that subscribe button. We are trying to grow that page as quickly as we possibly can, and we can only do it with the help of you guys. So, once again, thank you. Uh, that wraps it up for this edition. Want to thank you guys for watching and listening, and as always, go Tarius.
want to thank you guys for listening to this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. If you could, make sure you head over to wherever you listen to your podcast, find out where you can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, and go ahead and do that for us. The rating and reviewing, that helps us to move up some of those rankings, and the subscribing, that is for you, so you don't miss any editions of the podcast coming up. We look forward to you being a part of the Heel Tough Blog podcast family moving forward. And thank you once again for listening to this edition.